Good morning, Four Points. Good to see all you guys this morning. Uh, thanks for coming out. If everybody's tuning in, thanks for coming. It's good to have each and every one of you. I'm glad my dear sister here on the front row has got her mask on because I spit and it just comes all towards you. So do please wear that. Something happened this morning in the first service that has never happened before. I skipped an entire verse. I, we were going through the armor of God, and I didn't even catch it. I'm just going through and talking about each piece of armor. And at the end of service, I got back there, and Scott Valiana said, you skipped the helmet of salvation. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh, but the reason is, probably, I don't know, we also ended that service seven minutes early. So you're in luck this morning. But the reason probably is, as soon as this service is over, our car is packed, and we're going on vacation. Yeah! Uh, I'm super excited about it. Uh, I have been preaching every week since the beginning of February, except for the one week we closed down for COVID. So I am mentally fatigued, and I'm looking forward uh, to some time off, and our elders are going to serve you well uh, here over the next couple weeks. Uh, this is, we're actually finishing the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, so, uh, but don't worry, we have one more sermon in our Ephesians series, because we're next week we're going to look at the last words that Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus from Revelation chapter 2. So you don't want to miss that. Please be here for it. Also, if you haven't picked up your bookmark on the six movements, we have those available for you. Uh, we'll talk about that a little more in a second, but please do pick that up and meditate on these six movements from the old way of life to the new way of life in Jesus Christ because we need to be growing in each of these areas. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 10, a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you have been a Christian longer than 15 minutes, You've probably heard about the armor of God. You've probably been in a Sunday school room uh, where someone took all the Roman legionnaire plastic armor and put it on and talked about each piece. We've seen it done a, a lot of different ways in church over the years. But today we're just going to walk through the text uh, and discuss this armor of God and the final greetings that Paul gives this church. So let's pray and we will get started. Father, I love you so much. I thank you for your word. Father, and I thank you for your people. God, you have made a people for yourself. You, you, you adopted sons and daughters out of this world, and you made a new humanity that should shine and reflect your glory in this world. And Father, as we have learned these things through the book of Ephesians, Father, help us to apply. Holy Spirit, change us. Mature us so that we can continue to grow and attain this great unity that you have given us as your people. And may we shine for you that this world can see a better life, a better way of living. It is under your banner, you as King Jesus. Father, we don't, we don't need a, a, another president or another party. We need King Jesus ruling and reigning all people. Uh, Father, may we keep you in that place. May we reflect you in that place well. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, let's stop there. Dylan's good to see you this morning, man. You didn't spend the night at my house, so I'm surprised to see you. It's one of my kids' friends. Good kid. So, uh, finally, 
We are at the end of all that Paul is teaching this Ephesians church at this time in history. Uh, We have gone from the first three chapters where Paul unloads the work of our good father who has a plan for us. God loves us. He chose us. He adopted us as sons and daughters. We were dead in sin, but he made us alive in Christ. And he wants us to grow in this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The whole first three chapters are him taking us from death and bringing us to life. It was his work that he did that he accomplished now we are a new people in this world, sealed by his spirit. It is done. As Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. That work has been applied to you and I, his sons and his daughters. But right thinking always leads to right living. Orthodoxy always leads to orthopraxy. So for two chapters... Chapters 4 and 5 we we hear about and Paul teaches. Now we know these great things that God has done for us. So there's a way we should live. And we walk through these six movements and we walk through... uh, how our families should look and, and how our careers should look, whether, whether you own your own business or whether you're an employee for someone else. We, we saw how we should be living this life on this earth. But how many of you have been looking at this? Right? Because every week for me, something it's, it's a different one. Oh, I did good there this week. No, man, that's where I blew it. This is hard stuff moving from from old to new man in Christ Jesus. Amen? Any of you perfect in this? Yeah. No. (laughs) Because only Jesus was. Amen? We'll talk about that in a second. Right? So it's hard to make this change. It's hard to live this new life. So we get to finally, as Paul wraps this up, because these last couple weeks have been heavy. As we look at scripture and then we look at the mirror of our lives and we see that we're not measuring up, but we're still commanded to grow and to mature. So here's where chapter 6, finally Paul begins his conclusion. And here's how he concludes, and this is good news. Finally, be strong in your own ability and worth. That's not what it says, does it? Be strong in the Lord. Do you remember when all this COVID stuff first happened? We took a break from Ephesians because we were right moving into chapter 4. And I didn't want anyone to miss chapter 4. So we took a break and we went through a couple psalms. We went through Psalm 130, which is a psalm of ascent. But we also went through Psalm 46. And if you'll remember, that's that great psalm where Martin Luther penned that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And what we learn when when the world is shaking and when the world is on fire and when we don't know what tomorrow brings, there can be all kinds of stress and insecurities and fears. But we can run not to our own fortresses, not to our own homes. Our strength, our hope, our help is in the Lord. Finally, as we're trying to move from old man to new man, as we're working on ourselves and our families and our careers, right? We're gonna, we're, there's going to be hiccups. It's going to be hard. But be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, in the strength of his might. God is our hope. 
We are not our hope. This armor of God that we're fixing to walk through, these are all things that God has done for us. That is our strength. That is our hope. Our hope is never in ourselves. We're going to wreck everything as mankind always does, but our hope is in him. He's the one who gives us a rock in which we can build our lives, amen? So when the storms come, we will not be shaken, Now, we're going to read verse 11 through 13, because there's three big ideas here. And two of them are repeated twice. And anytime you see repetition in Scripture, you know it's there. Paul's not just rambling. God has spoken very clearly to Paul on what to say to these Christians in Ephesus. And when something is mentioned twice, it's not not some Monty Python quest for the Holy Girl comedy routine. Right? It's not like the holy hand grenade. You remember that scene? Yeah, I've seen it, oh, like a hundred times. Thou shalt count to three. The number shall not be two. The number shall not be four. But three is the number thou shalt count. Right? <laughs> when something is repeated in Scripture, it's for emphasis. It means pay attention to this. So let's read these verses now. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Be strong in the Lord. How? How can we do that? How do do we do that? First, first point, we take up the whole armor of God. Now let's talk about this armor for a second. Whose armor is it? It's God's armor. It's not our armor, it's his armor that he gives us. Now let's be clear, this is a metaphor, right? Because God doesn't need armor. But we do know from the Old Testament that God is revealed, the Messiah, Jesus, is revealed as the divine warrior who conquers all of his enemies and makes them his footstool. Jesus conquered every enemy, including death itself, our greatest fear in this world. He conquered all his enemies. And and this armor verbatim is mentioned in places like Isaiah, the, uh, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. This is the divine armor of the divine warrior, the Messiah, God himself. It's his armor that has seen nothing but victory. Think about that for a second. This armor has no dents. This armor is not uh, insecure. This armor has seen nothing but conquering victory. All its enemies have been defeated. And it's the armor that belongs to God that he now gives to us. How can we be strong in the Lord? By accepting the gifts that God has given to you and given to me. And these gifts are extraordinary as we begin to walk through them. But number one, point number one, this is God's armor. This is what God has given you to wear. Number two, there is no such thing as a Christian civilian. 
Well, Brad, I'm a pacifist. Not spiritually, you're not. You are in a war, whether you want to be or not. Isn't it true before Christ? You did whatever you wanted and you didn't care. And then we become Christians. God opens our heart to the gospel. And what happens? You get that phone call. Hey, man, let's go. It's time to woo. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't think I can. I don't think I should. Right? That's the Holy Spirit working in you and introducing you to this new war that you are a part of. Spiritual warfare is real. And you have an enemy. You have someone that hates you. Wants to destroy you, wants to tear you from the fold of God, wants to hurt God in the process. This is who Lucifer is. That name coming from a typology in the Old Testament that means son of the morning. Uh, Lucifer was a created being. He's not like God, but he, God made him beautiful. We, we think of this devil with pitchfork and, and horns and a tail. That's not who Satan is. He comes as an angel of light. He looks like he's a good guy. And he, he convinces. I mean, th- this blows my mind when I think about him convincing a third of all the other angels that God had created to war against God himself. Satan is not just some uh, uh, inch taller than we are being. He is powerful and alluring. And he has waged war and you cannot put down your sword and not fight. You must Fight the good fight with the armor that God has given to us. Also think about Satan. He's, you know, the angels were created and they saw, they saw God uh, create this world. They saw the majesty of him carving out the, the, the Grand Canyon and raising up the mountains. Right? They, they saw his handiwork in, in Adam and Eve. And Satan has been around. All this time since the Garden of Eden, since he waged war on our first parents, Adam and Eve, and tricked them and deceived them into turning against God like he did a third of the angels. He's been a part of every war. He's seen every strategy that man has come up with. He was there when Alexander the Great took over the known world. He was there when the Roman Empire conquered. I mean, he has been there. Uh, in, in the Greek, all throughout all of history, he knows how to out, outflank. He knows how to come around from behind. He knows exactly what bait to dangle in front of you to get your eyes off of Jesus and onto your own desires and onto your own wants. He's been doing this a long time and he is well organized. Right? He has, he has people in place. Right? All the sons of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2, are following his system and his ways. They've taken the bait. Satan is their father, their lord, their king, and it's all around us. Pay close attention. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against the power and influence of Satan himself in this world, in our families, in the church. He is crafty. He is that serpent of old, cunning. He knows how to attack. He knows how to deceive. He knows how to outflank. Which is why God has given us his armor. That we may, point number three, stand firm. Not only can we withstand, 
right? Uh, Rebuke the devil and he must flee, I believe James said. Not only can we withstand his deception, but we can stand firm when the dust of battle clears. When everything comes back to normal and visibility returns, we are left on the battleground standing in the armor of God. His armor that he gives to us. See, ever since the beginning, there was one narrative. God created the heavens and the earth. God made Adam and Eve. God gave the beautiful garden. God said, just stay away from that tree. And then Satan moves in with the second narrative, the false narrative, the lie. He's the father of lies, wanting to deceive. God knows this. So he's given us equipment, his equipment, so that we can stand in the spiritual warfare that we are going to feel and embrace in this world. None of us are exempt from the war that is being waged, but all of us as God's children have been given his armor to keep us safe. Let's move now into that armor, verse 14. So it's God's armor, the enemy is real, but we can stand because of what God has done. Amen? Verse 14. Stand therefore. Now stand is a theme. You're going to see it four times in this text. God God isn't wishful thinking in our being able to stand. He has made our standing possible. I want you to see it. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Right? At this time uh, in the ancient world, the belt, right? They didn't wear pants like we have. They didn't have trousers. I don't know why I said trousers. That's kind of an outdated word. But they didn't have sans belt, right? Or whatever pants you wear. Right? They wore robes. I got a chuckle out of my wife. It's my dad wears sans belt. That's where that comes from. Anyway, what am I talking about? The, the belt, right, they wore robes. And sometimes that robe, man, it can go this way, it can go that way, it can come up, right? And it can, it can impede our ability uh, of movement. So the belt was the first thing the soldier put on. The first piece of armor God gives is truth. And we're to gird ourselves in that truth. Listen, there is a first narrative and everything else Paul calls the doctrine of demons. There's one truth that God has given and it can clearly be seen through creation itself. Man, if you sit out, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been to uh, the Niagara Falls, if you've ever been to Red Top Mountain looking out over that beautiful lake, right? you know that all this design demands that there is a designer behind it. Random chance and time just cannot. It's mathematically impossible. It's improbable. And all this design demands a designer, and we clearly see it, which is why all men are without excuse for knowing the truth. Romans 1 tells us God gives truth and we're not even talking quite yet about God's word which is also true and specific for us we'll see that in the sword in a moment but this is just basic truth that is true in all places for all people at all times right every one of you how many of you are going to how many of you graduated and are going to school next year Maybe KSU somewhere else, a couple of you. Listen, your first psychology class or your first uh, sociology class that you're going to take, some professor's going to get up there and he's going to say, truth is relative. And every, we live in plurality. 
And what's right for you may not be right for me. And what's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. And when he starts talking, just go up and punch him in the mouth. Because here's what's going to happen. Don't do that. That's not Christian. But for sake of explanation, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to look at you and he's say, you shouldn't have done that. That's not fair. That's not right. And that's when you go, it was right to me. Right? The reality is there is truth. There's truth for all people. We know it. Even indigenous tribes in the jungles of the countries, the, the, the moral law of God is the thumbprint upon his creation. We know we shouldn't take what's not ours. We know this. We know we shouldn't speak falsely as one of the, move, the first movement. We should, we should move from lying to telling the truth. We know these things intrinsically. It's a part of us. There is truth. And it's the first defense we have against the lies and the falsehood of Satan and his minions. So we gird ourselves in the absolute truth. Brent, I don't believe in absolute truth. Do you believe that absolutely? You've just stepped into the larger world of that. You took the red pill. Sorry. There is absolute truth for all people in all places, at all times. And it's God's, all truth is God's truth. It comes from his original story, his creating us and everything around us. It is truth that we gird ourselves, which gives us movement on the battlefield. We know there is true, we know there is right, and we know there is wrong. So many people in our world don't understand the difference between the two any longer. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's go back to this six movements from old life to new life, from old man to new man. Boy, they're hard. And here's what I know about me. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. And I'm going to grow and I'm going to get better, but I'm going to do so imperfectly. Just like every other man and woman on this planet, the Bible is clear. God's indictment upon all of us is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right, so, so how can I stand even if I'm the very best I can be, the very best I can produce, the very best man I can become when I, when I show it to God and then I see how righteous and perfect he is, my righteousness is going to look like filthy rags. We can never earn, we can never attain on our own a righteousness to be able to stand confidently before the God of the universe. Think of the arrogance of just thinking that you could earn the righteousness of God. We can't, which is why he gives it to us. As you struggle through these movements, as you continuously are convicted by the Holy Spirit who's making us better people than what we were, remember if you're in those moments where Satan sits on your shoulder. See, I knew you couldn't do it. See, you're just as bad as you know you are. God can't love you. All those things, right? As Christians, part of spiritual warfare is, is struggling to believe that God really does love you like he says he does because we know we don't deserve it, amen? This is when we have to remember this is when we have to make sure we're appropriating this incredible gift that God has given us, a breastplate of righteousness. Even when we're not righteous, Jesus Christ was righteous and his righteousness has been applied upon our lives, covering our hearts and our vital organs in this war that we are engaged in. 
It's Jesus who did what you could not and have not done. He lived the perfect life in his actions and in his deeds, but also in his words and in his thoughts. He was completely perfect and righteous, even in his thoughts. And on the cross, the great exchange, he takes all of our, the sins you haven't even committed yet, he, paid, he took all your sin, past, present, and future, and laid it upon his own shoulders. And he nailed that sin to the tree. And in exchange, we gave him our sin. He took our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. It is this breastplate that will help you stand when the enemy is accusing you rightly before God. He is the accuser of the brethren. You will hear his voice say, not good enough. Look what they did. They're, they're evil. They're wrong. You can't love them. You can't save them. You'll feel the guilt. You'll feel the shame in those moments. We've all been there. We will all be there again. But that's when we remember God has done something for us. We can stand before him confidently like we shouldn't be able to because the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself has been applied. It's our breastplate. Moving on. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now that's a lot of words to describe one thing. Just remember this. Gospel boots. <laughs> boots that you put on to make you ready. You're ready. Right? When, when, if you're the Minutemen in the Revolutionary War and Paul Revere comes through, the British are coming. Right? You've got to be ready. They called them Minutemen because they had to be ready in a minute. And as a Christian, you need to understand the gospel, this righteousness that, that God has given you, this truth that, that he gives all of us. And you need to be ready both for other people and also yourself. Because Satan's attacking. The war is real. And other people are getting beat up. And you've got to be ready to apply the gospel as, as a balm, as, as a salve to their wounds. And at the same time, you've got to be ready. For, all right, the boots are offensive and defensive. You've got to be ready to preach the gospel. The best thing that you will ever do is learn how to preach the gospel to yourself. Yes, be ready in season, out of season, when that brother or that sister needs the gospel to be applied, needs to be reminded of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But you also got to be ready because we all have those days, right? We all get kicked off the island sometimes. We all hear them, hear the, the judges go, you had a bad day, you say you had some... Right? We, we've all been there. Maybe you're there this morning. We're all going to be there again. In those moments, you've got to be ready. You've got to have the gospel in you so you can preach to yourself about what Jesus Christ has done. And even though things aren't right in your life, even though things aren't right in your family, you can still stand confidently before God with those gospel-ready boots and that breastplate of His righteousness and that belt of truth, the truth of the gospel itself, that God does love you and saves you from your sin. We will get to the helmet this service. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which wished, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Satan is shooting at you. Open fire. And he never runs out of ammunition. So what do you need? You need a shield 
to defend you. And what is that shield? It's a shield of faith, faith that God has given you. Even in your weakest moments, God gives faith to his people. Remember what Ephesians says. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. If you're here today, let me ask you a question. Why are you even still a Christian? Because right? we shouldn't be, should we? We should have fallen away. I know me. I should have fallen away a long time ago. But I'm still here. Why? Because God gave me a shield. And that shield is faith in who he is and how good he is and what he's done on my behalf. It's not my work. It's his work. Do you know the author of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God without faith. You've got to believe or you won't even come to him. You've got to believe or you don't even know he can do what you would ask him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he gives faith to us, and it's a shield for us. It protects us. When it looks like everything in the world is falling apart, in the middle of a pandemic, we can confidently live as men and women of God with our shield of faith. I'm just, I'm just I'm honestly, I'm a little, I shouldn't say this. I'm just a little disappointed with Christians. Christians which is such a lack of faith. Listen, it has been appointed for every man, for every woman, a time to die. And for you, it may be COVID. And for others, it may be a car crash. And for others, it may be the flu. For others, it may be cancer. For others, it may be, it may be a war. But God, when we say we believe in a sovereign God, but so many people don't act like he's sovereign. They're scared to death. You got a shield of faith. I'm spit, I'm like an English bulldog up here. Faith, where's your faith? Doesn't look like the sun's coming up, or the sun always comes up. Always. And at the end of time, it's going to come up for the last time and it's going to stay for eternity. His name is Jesus. He's the son of righteousness coming with healing in his hands. Trust him. Believe in him. Stop being cowards. Verse 17. I'm going to get emails about that. I'm on vacation. Just keep them for a couple weeks. And take the helmet of salvation. We've got to, what does a helmet cover? It's defensive. What does it cover? It covers your mind. It is the, the mental, right? Spiritual warfare is mental. Right? Because there's always some way Satan can get us. There's always some way he can prove to us that we're sinners who don't deserve God's grace. So the helmet of salvation is God's constant reminder that he loved us for God so loved the world. He gave his only son. If we believe in his son, we have everlasting life. That is the salvation that you can take to the bank on your best day or your worst day, amen? It is the mind of Christ that we can have and apply daily to our lives. My family's a wreck. I just don't know how we got here. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. You better have that helmet of salvation on, knowing that your eternity is secure, whether it's good or bad right now in your life. We have been sealed 
by the Spirit, Ephesians 1 tells us. And all our favorite part, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, it is hard, right? When, when just imagine, William Wallace is coming at you with his broadsword 100 miles an hour. Right? He's going to take your head off. It's really hard to go, um, I think there's a Bible verse in here somewhere. Just one second. No, you better have your sword ready, which means you've got to read it. Listen, you know how non-religious I am. I don't believe in you've got to spend an hour, you've got to do it every morning, or you can only do it in the evening. Right? There's a lot of legalism out there. But what I do know and what you need to figure out for yourself and your own life and your own uh, schedule you gotta, you got to get into God's Word as often as you can. And you got to feed on it. you got to eat it. you got to drink this. And you got to put it in you. And you got to meditate on it. So when Satan is coming at you with a broadsword, you can say, no, 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 no. James says, resist the devil and he must flee. you got to have it in you so that you can speak it and wield that sword and, and chop and cut and poke the enemy when he's coming for you. God's Word is We've got truth broadly. All truth is God's truth. But this is the specific truth of God giving you everything you need, equipping you in every way to stand firm in all the temptations and things. How did Jesus defeat Satan in the wilderness? Through the proclamation of God's word. He spoke scripture. Satan spoke scripture too. So many people get so confused because Satan takes scripture and he twists it for his own purposes and for his own deceit. So you've got to know God's word rightly, the whole counsel of God, so that you can wield the sword when you need to. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. All right, so he, he's given us this armor. Come hell or high water, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to us. Come hell or high water, God has saved us. Come hell or high water, we've got his word and we've got the faith that he's given us and we've got shoes that make us ready uh, for warfare for others and for ourselves. But we also have to add prayer in this warfare. Praying in the spirit, what does that mean? Listen, do you remember when Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 6 to the, the religious people of his day? He basically told him, you can't even pray right. right? You're, you're, you're praying and you're making words and you got long prayers, but you're doing it all for show. When you come to God, come honestly. Take off all the masks. Right? We can't pray right. We can't even pray right without God's help. Every morning you should get up and say, Holy Spirit, Help me, change me, empower me to make much of Jesus. Help me pray the right prayers. Help me say the right things. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, that's his job to lead you and guide you into all truth, to bring to remembrance uh, his word when you need it in the middle of that warfare. It's his job to help you pray the right kinds of prayers because you can pray wrongly, amen? If you're still praying to win the lottery, you haven't won yet, have you? Because you pray amiss. God's not going to give you a serpent that will destroy you. If you don't have a lot of money right now, it's because you don't need a lot of money. Amen? Money's something you've got to learn and grow with or it will eat your lunch. It's from, it's from the love of money is, is the root of all evil. Right? So we can pray the wrong kind of prayers. Holy Spirit helps us to pray the right prayers that turn us into people moving from the old life 
to the new life in Christ Jesus. And also for me, now watch verse 19. He's moving now from God's done this. You're going to be able to stand because of what God has done. So pray in the spirit. Let God help you in your prayers. But also pray for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now remember, Paul's life is not that great of a life. He's been beaten with rods. We've all seen the lashes Jesus took in the Passion of the Christ. That was done to Paul three times. Paul was stoned and left for dead. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was uh, bitten by serpents. Paul was uh, thrown in, in the inner prisons. Paul was in stocks. Everywhere Paul went, Paul got beat up. If there was anyone who should be praying the prayer, God, get me out of this. God, no more. I'm tapping. It was Paul. Imagine Paul coming up here on this stage to speak to us this morning. You guys telling people about Jesus? You had any conversation with your neighbors lately about the gospel? You speaking the gospel boldly? Well, Paul, you know, in our day and age, it's just not, it's not politically correct. And Oh, I get it, Paul would say. They must, they must beat you if you talk about Jesus. Well, no, Paul, they don't beat us. No, no lashes? They don't stone you? No, Paul, they don't, they don't stone you. They throw you in prison? Well, not yet, but that may be coming. No, we just don't want to offend anybody. Paul would, Paul would fall over. Right? He's an ambassador for Christ. In all of his sufferings, he's asking the church to pray that he may continue to be bold in proclaiming the mystery of the gospel to everyone he meets, to everyone who will listen. And you and I, too, are ambassadors of this great God, this great salvation, this great righteousness that has been bestowed upon us. People are dying and going to hell. They need the gospel. Only the gospel changes the human heart. Listen, counseling, psychology, these things can be helpful to people. They can give tools at identifying bad behavior, but nothing can change the heart except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are its stewards. Which is why the church in Acts chapter 4, who are realizing these things for the first time, it's the first time they've been threatened to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they say, Lord, consider their threats. We don't want to go to jail. But help us to speak boldly your word. That was, their, that was praying in the spirit right there. Final greetings, verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul never sends one of his letters that God gives him for a church with a stranger. He always sends it with a faithful brother that that church knows so they know they can authenticate that word that he is sending to him. It's one of the ways we have uh, extra credibility for our New Testament scriptures. This was common practice in the ancient world. Verses 23 and 24. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Three big ideas, peace, love, and grace is how Paul signs this letter off. Peace is not simply absence of conflict, 
but the peace that we have because this armor we've been given because of what God has done in us, through us, and for us. We can actually walk with him in this world. We can have relationship. We can have intimacy with God, our Father, and our Lord, Jesus Christ. We can know he is with us even when it seems like he is not there. That's the peace of God. Shalom. It covers us. Every step we take, every decision we make, every place we go, every person we meet, we're walking in the peace of God. Think of it like a force field in Star Wars just covering a robot droid. That's the peace of God. It just cut. I know it's a dumb illustration. I'm going to do an illustration from a rom-com or something for the ladies one day. But today all you get is Matrix. And... The peace of God can cover us. And the love, the love that God shares with us is a love that transforms us. It's a love we can't understand. It's a foreign, alien love. I mean, he loves us when he shouldn't. But it's that exact love that transforms us that we can now share with others. And man, uh, I guess it was the Beatles that got it right. What the world needs now, that's not the Beatles. It's love, sweet love. It's the only thing. It's just too little love. I don't remember who. That's like a, I don't know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All you need is love. There's the Beatles. Oh, da, 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 da. That love that transforms us. Thanks, Nicole, for the laugh. That love that transforms us. We can then show and give and pass on to others in a way we never could without Christ. People need to see the love of God in us. It's why we can turn the other cheek and pray for our enemies. Because he came all the way to us when we were his enemies. Peace, love, and grace. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He has mercy. And he gives grace. He gives us what we don't deserve, the armor of God. He gives us a righteousness that is not our own, a salvation that we could never attain, a sword that keeps us safe, and faith, a shield to defend us against all the fiery darts of the enemy. This is God's words to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the book of Ephesians. I thank you that we know who you are, how great you are. Your will that you have been working out in this world, that you have included us in. You adopted us as your sons and daughters. We had nothing. You gave us everything. Father, help us by the power of your spirit to continue to, to grow so we can maintain this unity that you've already given to us. Father, may we grow in moving from the old man to the new man in Christ Jesus. And may your armor be secure upon us. So in our darkest days, we can still stand. And when the dust clears, see you rise over the horizon to save us. Jesus, we love you. We praise your name. Go with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. I love you guys so much. Remember, Revelation 2 next week, we finish up Jesus' words to the Ephesians church. Get your bookmark on your way out. I won't see you next week, but I hope you see each other next week. We'll be watching online. Love you.